here. What's up, Drew? Hey. Welcome to How College Works. Uh, no guest today. We will later on get our softball coach in, actually, oh. to talk about... Uh, Student-athletes? Student-athletes. He actually coaches both at the collegiate level and at the high school level. So he's like a really great resource for us to talk about, you know, how things change. But today, I thought we would talk about reasonable expectations for research or working in a field in college. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I... I'm science, I'm physics, so I, I run into this in physics, and <clears throat> it's not a huge deal, really, but I have had a student in my class who are doing sort of projectile motion, and in the lab, I sort of put in there jokingly, you know, we can't put sounding rockets into space, but we can still study projectile motion, you know, and here's this lab, you know, standard kind of physics lab about it, and to which in the response on the lab, I get sort of like, well, if we, why are we doing this then? Like, why am I taking this class if we're not sending rockets into space? And I just was so taken aback. <laughs> I was like, what, what are your expectations for a hundred-level physics course that... Yeah, at a small liberal yeah. arts. Yeah, at a small liberal arts that, yeah. that sending sounding rockets into space is, like, even on the table. You know. What, you don't have sounding... from my hand, grasshopper. Yes. <laughs> yeah, snatched my sounding, sounding rocket from my hand. Like, yeah, like yeah, when yeah. you can produce a sounding rocket, then, you know, we can take a trip to White Sands... Ooh, Mexico. I've been there. Yeah, awesome. You yeah. know, then pay for whatever it costs to launch it and analyze it. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Better pay attention because you're probably going to get one. Yeah, launch. look, so I, I get it. I mean, so in a, in a I don't want to, maybe I'm jumping ahead. I, in a music school in fine arts when we're all starting first year and straight into the application of music, you know, we don't have to ask our professors when are we going to perform because we're already in a major ensemble. We already have performances on the calendar. We already have, you know, whatever uh, solos and minor ensembles and able to, um, you know, show when the, the production is going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even like some upperclassmen undergraduate courses, I had a geology of the National Parks course where mm-hmm. one of the optional pieces was that professor did a rafting trip down the Grand Canyon every summer. So you could do a, a, a extra credit, not extra credit, but a, a, like a single credit of summer oh, course. Like a one that. credit hour, like excursion type thing that was connected to the class? Exactly right, yeah. And so it was optional. You had to shell out your own money for it. I didn't go. But it was that kind of expectation of like, oh, everybody knows that you have to wait till junior year to take this because it's it always fills up. And mm. it's got this really fun trip attached so you know we knew what was going on but so we uh, like might sort of broaden this up to like realistic expectations sort of within a major mm-hmm. like at different levels you know the i for someone who doesn't play sports or follow sports i end up making lots of sports analogies <laughs> <laughs> mm. now, if you say play volleyball like you you have to do a lot of drills and practice before you play the game and even when you play the game like you have to play lots of games before you're like you know, advancing to the semifinals and mm-hmm. regionals and all that stuff. That analogy is that when you're taking 100-level or even 200-level courses within your major, that's yeah. drills. Yeah. Like, you're on drill level here. You're, you're not on the game yet like, at all. You know, so you're just building the skills and the tools and the awareness that later on you can then sort of bring to like real publishable science. Like, you're not going to ever, well... Could you I mean, say in this extended metaphor, would you say that uh, launching sounding rockets and, and um, 
weather balloons is the playoffs or the Super Bowl? Where, where oh, yeah, I was going to say maybe that's like championship level, right? I mean, I mean, it, it kind of depends on sort of where you're at. Yeah, championship level, depending on how big a program it sort of is, you know. Uh, you don't get to launch a rocket a second time. Right. So it's a big deal. The sort of Super Bowl might be like the published paper that mm. comes from that. So once you launch all of that, you got to then crunch a lot of numbers. you got to reason through a bunch of stuff, explain a bunch of stuff in a paper. And, you know, if... The, if your team, if the research group is you know, operating at a high level, then you're getting the right data, you're drawing the right conclusions, and you can have it published in a prestigious uh, journal. And that's like, that's Super Bowl time. It's time to pop the cork on your champagne and get a big ring or something. Okay. So like your student was thinking about the launching of the whatever rockets was like the end all be all. But for us as researchers, that is not just the experiment is not the end. That's actually it's like halfway, halfway. Right. So sure, students, you want to launch some rockets, go for it, but also write this paper. Right. Well, (laughs) I'm not going to let you launch the rocket or the other other groups I've been involved with do ballooning. Uh So they they take a giant uh, stratospheric balloon and they uh, launch them over Antarctica. They like drift oh. around in a circle for like a week or more. And then you cut it loose and drop the whole thing to the ground. And again, you don't usually get too many repeats right. <laughs> of, of this process. So you gotta, you gotta have some skill before you even get to that Yeah, point. you're not gonna be involved in any of the big stuff or the analysis until you have proven yourself to be kind of skilled in what you need to do. So a grad student, right. really. So I was just thinking about, so coming from an undergrad English program that was traditionally very literature-based, I didn't get into writing studies until later, um, we weren't expected, I mean, we were still learning those skills, like, oh, let's analyze this, let's look at that, let's compare this, um, which, of course, writing about stuff is like the big research, right, that you do in the, well, in literature anyway. Um, but we weren't expected to make an original contribution, like have our own idea until the very end, until our capstone project. Right. And then that's obviously very mentored because you have someone you work with, and we actually have that same thing here. So along the way, like they allow students to experiment and try out new ideas, but they're not expected to fully enter into that until their last semester as an undergrad. So that right. would even be, I guess that would be like even remotely preparing yourself for research um, in that field. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have, you know, there's, you go to high school, you learn to write sort of the high school level, and this is like the real fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And then you go to college, and now we're like, okay, good. I'm, we're going to take you at having mastered the fundamentals, and now we're going to sort of blow this up a bit. Mm-hmm. But even then, you haven't mastered that, that sort of wider context. Right. And, but then once you're there, if I'm, like understanding you correctly and understanding probably for my wife who <laughs> is the same thing is like you there's a lot of theory yes. about how how literature works and how right. writing works so now that, you have to add that into your analysis and synthesis so and then there are multiple lenses and like yeah there are, those there are multiple like not necessarily competing but coexisting yes. theories Layers. and lenses that you yeah. can look through and you need to be able to sort of shift between them and, and talk about and understand and explain them before you have the facility to really dig in in a way that's meaningful for the professionals in the field. And that takes years. Yes, absolutely, yeah. So, so I want to I go back to um, 
like we had talked we have talked a lot on this podcast about the, the, the origins of, of college as an institution in in, uh, in old Europe. And so I want to talk about the word research. When we're talking about research, and let's temper our expectations as a first year, just because uh, this word is from old French. I'm looking at, at Mr. Google right now. I was like, did you just Google this? <laughs> Drew just knows these things. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have looked it up before, but I'm looking it up just to make sure before I say this on, on tape. Okay. It's recherche. It's, it's to, cherche means to look or to search, and recherche means to look again. You're researching. Like, even when you're researching for your master's degree after, after undergrad, you're, you're looking again. This is, like you said, it's not original. I'm looking at what everybody else did, mm-hmm. and, and luckily, hopefully I'm writing my chapter two of my thesis of my, my literature review, which is, like, by definition, looking again at something somebody else already did, right? I'm not doing anything original yet or, or kicking off my own thing. I'm just kind of seeing what the entirety history of, of humanity has already done before me. Right, yeah. In, in my experience as a grad student, we refer to this as, you know, the state of the field. Oh. Do you want right. to know what we talk about? What is that? We talk about the Burkean parlor. The Burkean parlor. Yes. I feel like, it, like this This is the Burke, that Burke? Kenneth Burke. That's different than the Burke I think I know. I probably so. Okay. But he has this metaphor about, there's like a, and I can't, I'm paraphrasing for any picky people out there. <laughs> but like essentially, imagine that you come to like um, this, this party and there's an ongoing conversation and people are already ex- uh, like in this heated and sometimes civil exchange and the conversation has been going on for a long time before you get there so before you can join you basically have to listen right you can't just walk in and be like what's up I'm here right and so the idea is that you have to listen and then find a way to he this is a quote to put in your oar like, right. like an, an oar like to the rowing river. a boat yes right. Um, so that you can find a way to respond to, to build off of, or push back against other people in the conversation. And then the night grows long, you get tired and you leave, but the conversation is ongoing. So the conversation is research in your field. You can't put in your aura. You can't join a conversation until you have read and have fully understood the conversation. Otherwise, you look like the jerk who can't join a conversation, right? <laughs> this is like uh, when Kramer enters the room on, on the Yes, podcast. that's exactly, that's a great, that's great. I want to bring that into writing 102. Be like, yeah. don't be this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so we talk about how some people can't read a room or can't read a conversation or they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally know about that. And you're like, we already talked about that. You know, so you don't want to be that person in the conversation. And the idea that the research is ongoing, even if you're not engaged in the conversation, whether you're reading or keeping up with the field or not, people, other people are having this conversation. So that's like the metaphor that we use in terms of joining the conversation. This has to be a familiar context for, um, you know, a certain group of, of young people who would be able to see, like, if you join a online forum mm-hmm. or a mm-hmm. chat group or something then you you lurk for a little while yeah. and, and you don't just pop in with your stuff because it's probably time. already been covered don't assume that it hasn't right or yeah. you come in with with the hi i'm new here i was wondering about blah and then those who are willing to engage with you will bring you up to speed on that aspect of what it is that you want to know about as opposed to saying coming in just like stating things as fact <laughs> yeah we've covered that 60 years ago Right. <laughs> Online. <laughs> right. 
That would be tough. Yeah, yeah. So So anyway, that's kind of the context. And so in terms of students being prepared to put in their or or like contribute to the conversation, that takes years, especially in your discipline. You have to read a lot. Like those lit reviews that Drew's talking about, like you really have to situate yourself in the context of that conversation in order to know that what you want to add or contradict or whatever is valid and someone else hasn't already said that or it's not been like beaten to death. Right, right. Well, and I'm... It seems to me, and I could be wrong, but there's also different levels to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I want my students to come having read material for the, that class period so that they can be a part of a conversation, so that they can ask me questions, I can answer questions, they can discuss with each other. I'm not asking them to be experts or right. to produce no. something new. I, I want them to be able to explore the you know, astronomy or physics or writing for a first-year writing seminar. <clears throat> in a meaningful way, and they can't do that if they haven't done the reading. Right. You know, they have to have done some work before they come in. I don't expect them to leave being an expert. Oh, God. You know, you no, have to do it again. This conversation and do it again metaphor and do it again. is like your career. Right. <laughs> right. And so, like, you can think about pockets of conversation where you're like, you're over here with a bunch of novices. So, if you want to use the forum, you know, like a subreddit <laughs> or whatever, where people talk about. Other things. Way too relevant. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, or whatever. So they're like, well, we don't know as much as maybe the whole forum, but we're new here. So let's talk about that. So that's those classroom conversations, those study groups, those kinds of things, which help prepare you for that larger, big discipline type conversation. And so we are doing that stuff at a very small level in our classrooms, but you have to have done the reading in order to know, hint, hint, wink, wink. Yeah, and we, we were we were also looking at um, what it, what is the real like experience of being in a research project as an undergraduate, not as the, obviously the main author on the paper or something, but um, what how could a, an undergrad first year second year um, anticipate to actually be involved in something? I think that varies. Yeah, I, I, for me, I just went and, I mean, I think I mentioned this, I just went and knock, literally knocked on doors and it was kind of nerve-wracking. <laughs> You're like, hi, I'm a first-year student. I'm interested in doing research in physics. I was wondering if you would have any openings or if you would in tell like me what you're doing. In a lab-type situation. In a lab-type situation. Where you would like, just join in with something they were already doing. Absolutely, yes. Like, I would totally be just, like, working f- for them and what they tell me to do, yeah. not like directing it myself or anything like that. I think we should research this. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in that position. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, so it, like literally just sort of asking the, the faculty. Right. Like, I, I'm interested in doing this. What, were this. what are the steps that I should take? Yeah. Asking. Sorry, it's not a bad here. angle. What were, what were the projects you were involved in in, in undergrad? Uh, I was in, uh, so I, I basically signed on to work in one research lab. Uh, so I thought of it as one job, but you're right, there were multiple projects that I was mm-hmm. involved in. And when I first showed up, mostly it was just kind of hanging out with the more senior undergraduates and the graduate students, <clears throat> learning kind of the standards of the field and what they're talking about, going to group meetings once a week. Where did people, you listen a lot? I did my best. One of the one of the oh, skills I developed as an undergrad was how not to fall asleep in a meeting. Oh, God, yeah. It is. <laughs> you've got to work at it, you know. And uh, the, but I started off doing, like, simple 
things like organizing the lab mm -hmm. or you know putting something together or uh, working on maybe like trying to design uh, sort of demonstrations or things for like the science museum because there's a great like science center in Cleveland where we were it was like well can we come up with some things to uh, to demonstrate kind of these astrophysics concepts that are going to be approachable. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and but then it, you know we did so learn more about <clears throat> astrophysics and what we were researching and why we were researching and how we were researching it. You know, as we got to my, my senior year, I I did a senior thesis and. I did an analysis of one of our detectors, so I had to understand how it all worked, and then trying to trying to do a that one was kind of faulty. So it was like, well, can we kind of do an analysis to kind of fix it in a way so that we could use this detector because they're expensive to make, and if we can use it, we want to, you know. And so put all that together and did a presentation and, and contributed a little something, but not. At least to that particular research context, you can right, right. Um, yeah, so like when I say like a huge conversation, you can contribute in very small but impactful. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm going to turn this whole discipline upside down. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. Rare, rare, rare. <laughs> so like all of my experiences were, um, no, I did not seek it out because of course music is not a um, research field per se. Well, at least not undergrad anyway. Um, but I, it was mostly my professors coming to me and saying, either as, as part of the major ensemble, hey, everybody in the group is going to, um, you know, if you're willing to, participate in this. Uh, one of them was an occupational therapy for musicians of, like, which parts of your hands and wrists and shoulders hurt from playing the horn all the time. Um, and so this was a, an occupational therapist master student who was doing research and needed subjects, and we were like, not voluntold or anything, but mm -hmm. like offered up as guinea pigs, and we had to say yes, we're okay with that, and then, and then we just did a uh, whatever participation she wanted. And then another one was um, our our conductor himself was going for his PhD in um, conducting, I, I presume, and was doing research on playing different music pieces and gauging the emotionality if that's mm -hmm. a thing of, of the music by having us spin a knob from one to ten as he played um, tunes uh, and so I don't know where that data went but he collected all that data and, and did his thing with it so but it was a, it was another volunteer like hey would you like to do this all right come come on over at this time it might be interesting to ex kind of expand in like what Melody and I are talking about are really engaging in the profession you know, of the field, like the kinds of activities that are seen as what you do as a professional physicist or a professional writer or, mm -hmm. or, or English professor, literary professor. Yeah. It, I mean, I imagine that there are some similar th opportunities that come up in terms of being a music student or a fine arts student in general and being able to engage in activities which are part of being a professional you know, pro. yeah absolutely so I'm thinking of one just now that was again it was my um, my professor said uh, to me it, during my private lesson that um, you know there's a there's a, a musical happening on campus and they need a, a backup band they need a trumpet player for the band are you willing to do that do you have the you know 
you have the time commitment for that. Here's the contact number of the director. So I went and said, absolutely, and let me get on that. So I was able to perform with the uh, you know university um, music theater performance people who were putting on, uh, what was it, Forbidden Island. Forbidden Planet. Mm. Oh, uh, Island Planet. This is a remake of The Tempest. Oh. Oh. But it was, it was a rock and roll remake what? of The Tempest. So it's all of these, like, 60s rock and roll with the band and it was great it was great fun and a couple of my other trumpet player buddies were like how did you get this gig this was a sweet gig because <laughs> we did three shows a week like two on sundays or whatever and um and they're like how did you get this i was like well you know my professor just asked me and i said yes so I, if you're the first guy in the door that helps <laughs> yeah it does and then being, you know, performing well at your at your at your field, and then my name got noticed, and I was asked to perform with a couple of other things where we, they needed to have a large ensemble for uh, all the professors performed at, at um, Easter time, and they called in a group of undergraduates to like be the backup bands basically, and then graduation um, bands was that was the best I ever got paid. I got paid fifty bucks an hour to play at like every graduation for the university. I, I remember playing in high school for the everyone walking and just like dying like it was just so repetitive and, and just my lips were given out <laughs> but you would have been much more sort of trained and ready yeah yeah it was like four hours and there was three three ceremonies each semester wow. we're making lots of money yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you, Drew. So um, our one of our music professors here. Um, so I mean, obviously, if you're going to be a music professor, that's slightly different than like. I mean, I think she might have her PhD in performance, but she has she also has her eye toward you know teaching, and so a lot of her research um, is based on how to teach music, um, like ped the pedagogy and that sort that part of it. Um, so I think that's kind of what, I mean, you said it's not a hugely research-based field. So, I mean, I'm guessing if you're not teaching, then you're not really conducting that kind of research. You're mostly doing performance type stuff. I, mean, I would say as an undergrad, it's not research-based. If you're a musicologist or a music historian. Oh, yeah. Right, or, or some kind of theory person or like a, a jazz composer major, those people had, had to know all types of history and theory and... Um, Man, if you want to get lost, you can go read about music history. That's that's volumes and volumes, just like any field, I'm sure. But music history just stacks and stacks of, of um, music history stuff written by Professor So and So. About yeah, so very similar to like maybe what literary analysis would be. They would be looking at older text and making some sort of interpretation or making connections or trying to revive it or those kinds of things. Totally. I mean, that was my baccalaureate level writing class was um, uh, non-Western music, and we had to write a 5,000-word composition. Uh, and one of the guidebooks for that class was um, writing analytically about music was the title of the textbook. Uh -huh. uh, and we, yeah, we had to basically do a, um, a, li a literary analysis of non-Western, like African or, or South Asian uh, music. It was really fascinating. Hmm. So just for the record, music majors do actually need writing skills. You can't get a degree from a accredited university without, um, yeah, without writing skills. Thank you. Just, just <laughs> verifying. 
Sometimes I feel like I say these things and people don't believe me. <laughs> well, fair. So Drew, I want to circle back. So when you got tapped for the musical and your trumpet buddies are like, dude, how'd you do this? Man, that's yeah. awesome. What that year were my you? first year and oh, really? the third year people who were way more skilled than me were like jealous. Okay. <laughs> so why do you think you got tapped then? Uh, I, you know, I think that that, um, that professor, you know, had all the professors know each other. The one guy leading the band was the vocal professor and he was playing the, the piano for the band and, uh, and so I'm sure they know each other and they play golf or whatever they do and he probably just said hey I need a trumpet player give me somebody and left it at that and this professor I'm assuming um, had kind of made the decision who you know I want to give this opportunity to a young mm-hmm. you know startup right. like the third year guy is already established and I know his skill level let's see which one of my first year students there was 10 of us at the time um, you know, is, is going to grow the best from this. I hope that that's the evaluation he made. That's what I would try to do with students, too, is like right. say, well, who is going to grow the best from this opportunity? And at the same time, who is going to, you know, be the least fall-down man on the job that's going to, you know, if they say, well, Professor, you know, Dr. Jones made this recommendation and then Andrew's fallen down and missed a day or whatever, then that's going to reflect poorly. So we want to find somebody who's not, not going to flake. Right, right. <laughs> So there's a little bit more flexibility in that, whereas, you know, kind of what Melanie and I were talking about, you need to have laid a lot more foundation, but there's a little bit more give, I guess, in that kind of gig economy yeah. uh, to be able to, like, grow into it, or you don't need to be at the highest level for that kind of thing. Well, I, I think, you know, the expectation was implicit that I was not going to, you know, flake or miss notes or, or blow it off or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, we were all, the, the pool of musicians to pull from was, was all highly skilled. It wasn't like, right. I don't think it was necessarily an easy choice, like, oh, this guy floods it up and misses notes all the time and that guy doesn't. Right. That's easy, but, um, yeah, I, it wasn't, it wasn't like, greasing the wheels to get a better you know shot at this gig it was um he made the offer and i think i was the first person to say yes there might have been another offer made before me that they couldn't make the time commitment sure sure this reminds me of a little bit of a difference between you know my experiences working in a in a lab in undergraduate and many of uh, my friends were computer science and so it was all about sort of programming and it seemed that much like what you're talking about there, like you could get probably fine upper level, you know, uh, upperclassmen who were uh, computer science majors who could just program the crap out of whatever you wanted them to do. But my friends, they got themselves gigs, some like summer jobs, like writing the back end of like a, uh, my alma mater's, at least at the time, webmail. Mm-hmm. So it's just. There's just so much stuff going on, and the level, the skill level is not required to be like, I am graduated with a degree, but rather just you're deep into it and focused on it and like engaged with it. That, you know, for programming, I'm guessing for music as well, that you can, you can get to a level of proficiency which allows you to then move out into sort of, again, sort of this more gig economy kind of action into the, into the real professional world without having the degree yet. Uh, right. I think what you're describing is making me think too, like you have to 
it has to be known around for whatever circles you run in what you're interested in so there may have been individuals who were more interested in they have made it known they wanted to focus on classical or jazz and I don't know that I've necessarily made that known yet but maybe the professor saying well your trumpet sound is going to fit this rock musical very well so we're going to put you in here mm-hmm. you know versus somebody else's sound on the horn so and and like you're saying if somebody's a back end uh, developer as a even as a hobby but their skill set is strong enough then we know it's in your wheelhouse we're going to offer it you know to you because it's known that you can do this right right and i think too i try to spread out opportunities so if i have a couple of like third or fourth year students who have already gotten the opportunity to like present at a conference or work on a project with me then i try to bring in a second year student as a way to kind of spread it out Mm -hmm. because if you just if you just focus on you know two or three students and give them all the opportunities like it i mean that's not good practice (laughs) no no it's not yeah so they're like depending on the field that the student's going into like these offers are going to come and there's things happening behind the scenes that you may know why does it come to you as opposed to somebody else Mm -hmm. but in some fields you really do need to build a lot of foundation in order to get close to the things which are professional Mm -hmm. sort of uh, in form if not in function whereas in others a little bit goes a long way and you can really quickly start doing doing work uh, because it sort of reminds me of what everybody talks about learning guitar like you learn three chords on guitar and all of a sudden you can play a song yeah and it's like oh my god <laughs> yeah but it's not going to be the same for like flute <laughs> flute <laughs> yeah. there's maybe a steeper learning curve for that yeah. before you can really play play something that sounds recognizable uh, for that uh, so it's just like different you know uh, different requirements before you can really engage in those meaningful ways and uh, to be aware of what's uh, what's reasonable for that for that field which may mean you have to just ask somebody (laughs) you know like if you're just coming in you're like I really want to do sociology but I think except for sociologists most of us don't know what that means so oh, you need to be like hey hi sociology professor i think i'm interested what would that look like yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know a couple people with sociology degrees we could, we could ask them yeah, that's oh. true uh no my our person has anthropology what is our, our sister has like linguistics and landscape architecture well that's her, <laughs> that's her advanced degree but she graduated with Something other than landscape architecture. Oh yeah, I, I don't I don't recall. <laughs> Man, who cares about Whatever. that lady? <laughs> so um, I I don't know a lot about your current research, Peter. Um, I think you've been doing more pedagogy type stuff with other teachers, like more recently. But do you do research that you could include undergrads on or in? With? I, I, it's possible. It's. So I used to do um, research that was focused primarily on electronics and readout hardware, um, which is interesting stuff. But it wasn't it wasn't engaging at the level that I needed it to be for like to be the next thirty years of my life or more. Yeah. Uh, and so I has switched. I mean, as you say, currently the majority of my professional development time is on pedagogy and, and working with you know my colleagues, my peers, on that. 
but I do still have a, a finger in in research, and that's more on. Uh, it started off in like physics education research, and it's sort of shifted a little bit, you know, sideways from that, in looking at something closer to identity development in physics majors mm. and trying to focus on um, how that is different between uh, young women and young men mm. and trying to catch them, like the thing which I need to finish writing up and submit to our IRB <laughs> is working with a, a larger school and basically seeing if, if I can uh, get majors that are leaving the major to sort of debrief with me and talk about how well, how that process went down and what were the key factors in it. So switching majors, not leaving the school, like graduating. Right. Yeah, switching switching majors. So be like, I was a physics major, but now I'm engineering. Or I was a physics, but now I'm something else. And in particular, looking at the way women and men experience that through the lens of identity, identity development mm. uh, and, and narrative and personal narratives and external narratives. But you could, after collecting all of this data, you, I mean, we have like an undergraduate research course that you could have like an independent study for one credit. You could have a student here help code data, mm -hmm. or if you wanted to do focus groups, they could record the focus groups or even like lead the focus groups and those kinds yeah, of things. That's, yeah, that's a possibility. And part of it is that, you know, for, the, for most of my career, the students who I have contact with are physics students. And so they're interested in physics and not physics education mm -hmm. or identity development. Like I'm really shifting into like sociology, psychology, <laughs> sort of areas. That doesn't yeah. have to be a physics student. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I haven't really had act, had contact with a lot of mm -hmm. students that are outside of a major because my previous previous institutions, you know, I we had a major. My primary contact was with our majors and making sure that they make it through their classes, yeah. uh, and that sort of a thing. So. Just curious. What about you, Melanie? Well, I do writing center research, so I so in terms of building a foundation, I want people who have already worked as tutors mm -hmm. um, to do research projects because one, they understand like the interactions that happen in a writing center session and also just the whole environment of being in a writing center. And because, um, because they know what happens, they're able to look at the data in a different you know, way because they have that contextual knowledge. Um, but I do primarily discourse analysis, which is kind of complicated. Um, for undergrads, but I mean I have a student who's doing the undergraduate research course with me and she's collecting data right now. So we went through, um, I took her through my IRB, explained all the consent stuff, and then we have readings that we've been uh, looking at ethics and research design and then now we're to the point where we're um, getting into what discourse analysis is. Um, so I'm trying to like baby step this right. person into just the idea. So it's really like very introductory, but this is a third year student, right? Um, I mean, we're not, not a graduate student or any of that stuff. So I feel like this is way more exposure than I ever got yeah. to this, this kind of research because I never had the opportunity to work on any sort of primary research project until I was in my, in my master's program. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of my whole thing is just trying to get students access to some part of the research process, if it's collecting the data, analyzing the data, 
I've presented with a student at a conference on data that she helped analyze, but that I collected, those kinds of things. So, yeah. So I want to just clarify, you, you said IRB, and I imagine the B stands for board. It does. It's like review board, right? What does that mean? Institutional review board. Okay. So it's just like when I did my master's, I had to submit permission, uh, human subjects. Yes. yes. Is that that's the same board? That's that the, the same, same board. Yeah. So because I'm recording the interactions between humans, and I'm going to be using the things that the humans say, and looking at the transcripts of those conversations, I have to have permission. Um, obviously. Well, I have to like say how one of the questions on the application was, how will this potentially damage the the individuals yeah. engaged in the study or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So it's usually benefits or drawbacks. Beneficence and beneficence is is the technical term. And, yeah. yeah. And then there, I forget the technical term, but yeah, the, what possibly problems could arise for the individual who right. takes part? You know, so you have to identify. Uh, potential risk. Potential risk for them. Right. So, like, I mean, a lot of times this, I mean, this doesn't pertain to me all that much because of my area, but like if you were interested in talking with survivors of domestic abuse, obviously interviewing them and asking them to talk about those experiences might have some emotional repercussions. So you would need to explain that fully to both the participants and the IRB mm -hmm. so that they understand, so that the, the participants can go in knowing that you're gonna ask these questions and that they're not like, oh, I thought we were just gonna talk about, you know, yeah. Or if you're going to interview people about uh, personal, you know, experiences, uh, you need to be cl clear about how you're going to maintain anonymity for them. Because if it's if the study or your work comes back to the community that they're in and they can be identified, oh then, man, yeah, yeah, you can't that. out your people. Yeah, <laughs> I one of the one of the high schools in my district. One of the students was um, heading up the. Uh, LGBTQ club. Mm -hmm. uh, I've messed the name up, but I bet the name of the club I've messed up. Uh, and they sent a survey out to the school's the student body um, on that subject, and they got some interesting replies back. The principal called me up and asked, "Like, how can we find out who put in these responses?" You cannot. You absolutely cannot. No, no, wrong. Oh no. It's bad it research bad. design, dude. I mean, uh, well. I'm sure you told them what it was, but like basically, if that went through IRB appropriately, and by the way, at the high school level, you need the parents' oh, yeah. permission. Right, right. Yeah, consent that was the other. That consent. was the whole like th that whole thing should not have been kicked off to begin with. So, oh, okay. <laughs> it was yeah. resolved amicably. It was all fine. It was nothing. But it like yes, the thought of it is just like holy cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This there are two major problems I see with what you just told me. <laughs> So like part of what, I mean, just to kind of wrap it back around or whatever, um, my whole thing is to introduce students to these things. Like let's talk about anonymity. Let's talk about what possible risks and benefits, you know, and is this connected to a class? How do you, how do you um, recruit participants that are in a class? They might see this as affecting their grade. Right. Um, so there are all of these things and just different research ethics and procedures and protocols that I really think of as my like responsibility. Yeah, I mean, and for being involved in a lot of social sciences, those types of concerns are things that you need to get a handle on before you can uh, be a portion, a part of the research, you know, from the researching side of things. 
Uh, sure, you can participate. You know, I was in like two or three psych studies as an undergrad because it was part of my grade for the psych course I took, I think. That doesn't seem right. Or maybe it was extra credit. Maybe extra credit. But whichever, like anyone can do that. And you'll, you should be reading the thing that says, hey, this should have no effect on you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or we're going to stab you with needles. Just be, you know, be prepared are you okay that. with that? Yes? Go, stab. You know, <laughs> whereas if you're going to be running one of these, there is a level of understanding and, and skill and awareness that you need. Yeah, and, and you need to know more about what that field values and what what they find interesting um, and how they do things before you can just be like, I'm going to stab you with needles. Right, right. So and when you come in, so to way back to the beginning, so when you come in as a first-year student, you know, if you know what you're going to be majoring in, awesome, great. But also know that, you know, the awareness that we have of, of those fields uh, coming in as a, usually as a high school graduate, is... Uh, it's pretty low. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, I wanted to do physics. I don't, didn't really know what that meant, you know, until I started taking classes and started seeing what that meant. So there's, there's like, a, your time in college is developing that awareness. You know, we're not just making you do things because... We are we're mean and we're gonna. And we're hiding the rockets. Yeah, and we're withholding all this awesome stuff from you. Like we don't we, <laughs> we don't, don't you don't get the good stuff until you've proven that you can you know work with it. We have a whole closet full of rockets. We're not letting them know. <laughs> so. Oh goodness. Well, I don't know. I just feel like that if I had a message to give to people or students, whatever, would be like if you have the opportunity or you think there's an opportunity to participate. I would say either as a researcher or a participant because I pay it forward. Anytime there's a survey that comes out or an interview that I can do that I think will help, um, like someone that I don't know but who does writing center studies or writing studies, I dang sure try to do that because I might be calling for participants and I need them in my study. So Mm -hmm. I try to build up goodwill even if they don't know it's me I'm like the universe knows it'll bring my back participants um so participating one because from the participant side you can see like what that means to be a participant how that feels and the paperwork they give you and that gives you uh, like the flip side of the coin but if you get a chance to work on research take it mm-hmm. like um I don't know that I had the chance I don't feel like I did but I might have just overlooked the possibility but and then I, I felt a little behind by the time I got to grad school. Yeah, and to, to know that generally we're going to try to meet you where you are and give you things that are appropriate for you. Sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, settling down. Mm-hmm. It might, you know, the first project might be too hard or too easy. And then, you know, that, that feedback has to come. Like, this was too hard. I didn't understand this. I don't have this math. Right. You know, or this, like, this is super easy. I got it done in an hour. Okay. You know, as, as, we're, as we're wrapping up, I want to say, too, like, as an undergrad, what I did is I, I saw people, um, young college kids doing the stuff that I wanted to do, and I asked them, how did you get this yeah. gig? How did you get here? I saw people doing backstage work um, at the theater, and I said, how, you know, how do you get this backstage stagehand job? Who do you go ask for that? You know, or doing the recording booth at the sound for, in the recording booth for the jazz band. And so maybe I'm recording as the trumpet player, but I go back to behind the booth and say, how do you get this gig? Like, what does it yeah. take to get here? Right, right, yeah. And it's, it's a really good way to do it. Like, almost everybody's going to be really happy to take a moment like, yeah, I recognize that you see that I'm awesome. Yeah. Here's how I got this awesome. Yeah. Like, we love how to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we love to exactly. talk about ourselves. Well, and it's also the same, too. If, like, somebody's like, I'm really interested in doing writing center research, 
my bunny ears like whoop let me see what's going on yeah because that that's exciting to me because that's the work that i do and i'm happy to mentor anybody who's interested in my area of research as long as i can make it happen i will try my best so i think seeking out people in the area that you're most interested in and just putting it out there yeah yeah okay yeah i got class yo okay (laughs) well thanks everybody if you have a topic you want to send to me you can reach me on, on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. Or send me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. All right, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.